Hello and welcome to episode 230 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. For the second week in a row, we are taking a hiatus. I guess I should phrase that we are continuing our hiatus yes. from the uh, from the 1991 miniseries upon which we've embarked. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, we did our annual fan-voted Halloween episode. Yes. Thanks to everybody who voted for that. Thank you. And made us watch a very spooky movie yes. in The Exorcist. An incredibly well-made movie. Incredibly well-made movie. I've forgotten how good it was. What is, well re- what is regarded as... Often regarded as the scariest movie of all time, I think is yeah. accurate. Yeah. Um, not necessarily by us. We're too tough for that. But. I think it's just that the scares haven't aged as well. Yeah, but the craft of it has. So uh, yeah, so we had a great time reviewing that last week. Yeah, so we definitely did. go back and listen to that. Uh, this week we are continuing our other late year annual episode. Yes, I guess we have Christmas coming up too. That's regardless. Oh uh, right. It's our fifth annual Remembrance Day episode. We'll typically do a war movie every year at the beginning of November. Um, And this year, we decided to do Christopher Nolan's 2017 movie, Dunkirk. Yeah. Fifth fifth year that we've done this. Sixth movie, because one of those years had two in it. Mm -hmm. We've done a list of pretty good movies in in that term. We were going over them before we started. And uh, yeah, it's been some pretty impressive ones. I agree. I agree. Last year would have been Das Boot, I think. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was. Yeah. We were very impressed with the cinematography in that one. I wonder if we'll have anything. I wonder if we'll have any praise for the technical ability of this one. Hmm. We will we'll have to find out. Keep listening and find <laughs> out. Uh, We've been watching some stuff. Absolutely. And in the very rare, <clears throat> rarefied air. Sam's watched more than I have. Yeah, this is this does not happen, and it wasn't by like a nose. It was. Yeah, it, it was crushing. Yeah, it was a crushing defeat this week. Yeah, I'm Sam. sure. I'm sure he'll come back next week with like ten movies or something. But no, maybe the, <laughs> the following week I will though. I yeah. can tell you that 100 percent because I've got Friday off and I don't have my kid. Oh baby. Yeah. <laughs> I plan on marathoning a shit ton of stuff. Hell yeah! Well, that's gonna be Remembrance Day, right? So get a couple of war movies in there. One. One? Just one. What movie? I haven't See, decided yet. Probably Saving Private Probably Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Probably. I used to watch that every Remembrance Day. Yeah, but we'll we'll see. Yeah. All right, Sam, what do you got? What do you got? What have you been watching? What do you, uh, what I don't know if I'm going to spend a ton of time on any of these, but I do have five different movies that I watched this week, which cool. I'm going to be talking about. Yep. Um, one of them, uh, a number of these uh, were just on the tail end of October, watching yep. some spooky and or horror movies. Okay. Uh, first one that I wanted to just briefly touch on is a natural continuation. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Adams family. So of course we had to talk about, or we had to watch, uh, Adams family values okay. as well. Uh, the Adams family try to rescue their beloved uncle Fester from his gold digging new love, a black widow named Debbie, <coughs> Debbie, excuse me. Uh, isn't that Joan Cusack? It is. I was very surprised and a very attractive Joan Cusack wearing <laughs> a, an incredibly low cut blouse for a lot of the movie. <laughs> I've never felt that way about Joan Cusack before, and it made me uncomfortable. But it was also great. She's uh, she's honestly hilarious in the movie, um, as is everybody else. No surprise. Um, I was pretty lukewarm on the first Adams Family. I enjoyed it. Gave it three stars. Yep. Uh, in my estimation, this is a step up from that one. Really? Oh, I really liked this one. I Interesting. Thought it, I thought it was very funny. You seem surprised by that. I don't know if you hold this one in lower regard than the other one. I actually haven't seen Adams Family Value since it was in theaters. Mm-hmm. 
That's I've only seen it once, and okay. I saw it in theaters because I really liked Adam's Family. Okay. And I rewatched Adam's Family for 92, 90, 91. 91, 92? I can't remember. Uh, I want to say 91. Yeah. Something like that. So anyway. for this year. Yeah. Pretty sure. Um, so I, I remember... I remember not enjoying Adam's Family Values as much, but we're talk. What, what year was this? Ninety four. Ninety three. Ninety three. So th- almost thirty years ago. Yeah. Uh, so my memory of it might is obviously vague. So now I definitely have to revisit it. I think uh, this one is a step up for a number of reasons. First of all, I love Joan Cusack in the movie. I think she's hilarious. Fair. Um, I think uh, I can't remember if it's the same director. Uh, it says Barry, Barry, Son- Barry Sonnenfeld. Sonnenfeld. Yeah. Yep. Um. It feels like he's just kind of figured out the tone of the movie a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I'm accustomed to the characters, but I found myself uh, found myself laughing at a lot more of Gomez's moments. You recall, I was kind of again lukewarm on that character the first yep. time around. I think I either I kind of got him a little bit more, or the director got him a little bit more, or a combination of both. Um, I think he was really good, but really uh, the highlight of this movie is Wednesday Adams who's absolutely hysterical, the kids going to summer camp and the way they interact with uh, the normal people around them. I mean, that's really the whole shtick of the Adams family is there's this creepy, spooky family who loves the macabre and look at how they interact with normal people when they talk about death. Isn't that funny? But for some reason, in particular, the setting of the summer camp was just set up to uh, tickle me. <laughs> it was uh, it was really funny. Um, last year for Halloween, here's a fun fact, uh, Emma and I went to a house party as Wednesday Adams and Joel Glicker, uh, her boyfriend at this summer camp. And I had no idea who that was because I had not seen you, the movie. You dressed up as Joel Glicker and but didn't know who it was? Yes, correct. Yeah, that's a good boyfriend right yeah. there. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, if she puts the costumes together, she deserves the credit and, uh, you know, and I should... Uh, I How should did I that. not know that? How have I never seen pictures? Well, because uh, the main party that we went to, we had two different costumes. We went as them on one and then uh, John Travolta and Uma Thurman for the other one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um but regardless uh I-, I thought they were really funny um the actress uh is it christina ricci yes it yeah, certainly christina is ricci, <laughs> one of manny's uh first uh, let's not talk about that uh, let's not uh one Please. of the first performances manny respected is what thank I was you to say. let's go with that <laughs> um she is absolutely fucking hysterical uh, her deadpan delivery of everything is fantastic. Yeah. Um, her rebellious nature, her obsession with murder, her numerous ways to try to maim and hurt and injure other people uh, is somehow the most charming thing in the entire movie. Right? It's great. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So I actually had a lot more fun watching this one. Um, I enjoyed the first Adams Family, which got a three Adams Family values, gets a four for me. I liked it a little bit better. Nice. Before you move on, yeah. Um, so you, like... Well, you gave Adam's Family a three, and you gave this a four. You're talking about the director, Barry Sonnenfeld. Do you know the other films he's done? Because he does a movie that I know that you love. Um, I feel like I looked this up one time. I can't exactly remember. It's Men in Black. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I um, It's been a minute since I've watched the first Men in Black, but I I definitely watched it, a, let's call it five to six times in my youth. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. All right. What do you got next? So next up, let's scroll past, exit out of that one. Um, this is a new release I was really excited to check out. Uh, Wendell and Wild. Oh. Uh, two scheming demon brothers, Wendell and Wild, enlist the aid of a 13-year-old cat, Elliot, to summon them to the land of the living. Are you aware of this movie, Manny? Only when you posted it in the chat. Yeah. it's it, like The names attached to this are awesome. Um, it's, it's Keen Peel. It's Keen Peel, first of all. 
Um, anything that Jordan Peele does associated with horror, I, that's already reason enough to check it out. But it's also directed by Henry Selleck, who's a, a very talented director. Um, a lot of people will know him of Coraline. This is his first motion picture, first major motion picture in 13 years. Last one, which was Coraline, which I really enjoyed. Um, so I was excited by this. I don't think I have a ton to say other than this movie just really needed a prune. It really needed, it really needed a chop down. It, uh, there's a lot of heart and the animation is obviously spectacular. There's a really great core concept. Um, there's a lot of really interesting characters of different sorts of representation, which is awesome to see. And naturally, of course, Key and Peele, uh, championing that sort of thing. But, um, the movie just has way too much going on. There's too many characters, um this should have either been um about 20 minutes shorter or an entire mini series it felt like they were trying to pack too many plot points into into a compact area um it could be the kind of movie where if i rewatch it i kind of develop an appreciation for it because maybe i can follow the plot threads a little bit more but each individual aspect felt a little underdeveloped it's technically beautiful the animation looks great is it animation or stop motion it, it is uh, it's stop motion it is stop motion. It's stop motion yeah i think i said animation a few times but it's stop you did I just well, to stop check. motion animation but anyway um semantics um yeah I was, I was a little bit let down by it but there's still there's there's a neat nugget kind of at the core of it it feels like there's a good movie here um actually there's a great movie here waiting to be discovered but it was, it was just it needed to be a little tighter you know which is the core i can use i'm giving this one a three um it wasn't a complete letdown there's some good moments in it but um yeah it didn't really speak to me and i, I was ultimately left disappointed what is it that you've pulled up right now i just remembered a movie i needed to add in here oh okay that i watched okay well i will move on from uh, from wendell and wilds uh and i will go on to the next somewhat spooky movie um sorry and you gave wendell and wild a three i'm sorry three out of five yeah. thank you sorry yeah. about that that's yeah, all good um so in what has become sort of a November 1st tradition, uh, my roommates and I watched The Nightmare Before Christmas. Interesting. Uh, Jack Skellington, king of Halloween town, discovers Christmas town, but his attempts to bring Christmas to his home causes confusion. <clears throat> watched this each of the last two years. Two years ago, it was actually my first watch of it, and already this is probably my fourth overall watch. So um, I am... Living in a house with people who grew up with this movie, it's an annual tradition for them. Become a bit of an annual tradition for me, therefore, as well. Um, it's I'm, it's good. I'm <laughs> developing uh, developing an appreciation for it. The soundtrack is excellent. Uh, Danny Elfman writes the music, and it's so unbelievably creepy and spooky and really creative. Um, like when we were talking about, uh, about West Side Story, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of really unorthodox music in that movie um it sort of reminds me of that how uh you know some of the time signatures and some of the some of the keys and melodies are just very unorthodox um but that really lends itself to the sort of the spooky tone of the movie so i think it works really well in that regard i actually i, I saw that you liked my uh post on letterboxd of this <laughs> it took me um a few watches to realize this movie is kind of about cultural appropriation uh back before i mean 30 years ago i have no idea if that was a buzzword i don't nope. know if that's a thing people were nope. talking about no nope. but it really strikes me as being about cultural appropriation and i'll remind people of the concept death of the author meaning it doesn't really matter if the author intended it for it to be about that if you the viewer imagine it to be so it is um so uh the reason that cultural appropriation comes to mind with this movie is because um 
it's the mayor of Halloween Town sees this one tradition from Christmas Town, goes, "Hey, I want to take that," and kidnaps their leader, steals the tradition, um, but misses out on everything that makes it charming and special, uh, and instead makes it kind of a bastardized version of the original thing, which winds up unsettling uh, children all around the world. Um, And it is only in the conclusion of the movie, I'm about to spoil Nightmare Before Christmas, so spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have, um, it's only in the conclusion of the movie that Santa rides by on his sleigh and says, ho, 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 after they learn their lesson, and snow begins to fall. And when the uh, originator of the tradition kind of uh, blesses them and gives them a, a fun snowfall, that's when they begin to understand the true meaning of Christmas. So uh, that's that's why that kind of uh, stuck out to me. I don't know if that's a meaningful reading or if that means anything to anyone, but that occurred to me this time around that that's you know a pretty... Um, modern reading of a of a 30 year old movie i guess Mm -hmm. um and i hadn't seen that before but anyway um all that being said night before christmas is just fun it's spooky there's skeletons there's good music and uh fun zany characters and good animation um and it's a brisk watch at like an hour 20 yeah not even like an hour 15 or something like that it's really short so yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas. Actually, the last few times I've watched it, it's gotten a three. I bumped it up to a four this time. Ooh, I did. It's growing. In a few more years' time, it's going to reach a five. Just kidding. Probably won't, but... I've only seen this twice. Yeah. And I honestly don't remember the last time I watched it. I keep wanting to revisit it, and then don't. Hmm. I don't know why. I think I just wasn't that wowed when I, when I watched it. It, yeah. So, did you watch this when it came out? Yeah. In 93? Not in theaters, but when it came out. Yeah. And do you remember being wowed back then? I remember being wowed by the animation, by the stop motion, because mm. stop motion was so as f- not used. As far as I know, this is the first feature-length stop motion movie, and feature-length here being used very lightly, because, again, it's under an hour and a half. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I I just remember, but not being, not being won over by it. Yeah. Um, but this was sorry. This was ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah. So I'm eighteen years old. Yeah. Danny Elfman um, as Jack Skellington and as the person writing most of the well, writing all of the music. Um, this is really his movie. I mean, there's debate as to whose movie it is. There's the whole Tim Burton, um, Henry Selleck debacle, which I'm not totally familiar with. Neither am I. There's a Movies Who Made Us episode on this, which I haven't seen, um, but apparently. I mean, when this was released, like a few weeks before it was released, it was remarketed as like Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, it was. Um, which Henry Selleck did not take kindly to because apparently Tim Burton's job was to show up to set once every few weeks, bark a few commands, and then leave. Mm. <laughs> um, so anyway, there's been drama over that. Um, but regardless, I, I enjoyed it this time around and gave it a four. Excellent. Um, okay. A movie I've been bouncing back and forth on. I posted in the group chat last night that I was watching this. Pretty sure you've seen it as well. Um, Do Revenge. Oh, yeah. Which came out this year. Drea and Eleanor agree to go after one another's bullies. That is a very basic plot synopsis. That is very... 66 Metascore uh, stars Maya Hawke and uh, Camila Mendez as uh, Eleanor and Drea. I don't know how to feel about this one. Uh, I've gone back and forth, gave it a four and then a three and then a four. Um, it's definitely solid. It's kind of a reimagining of strangers on a train. Uh, it may also not kind of, 
it is. It's it's Strangers on a Train. It also is kind of horrible bosses and also kind of mean girls. It's borrowing from a few different sources here. So there's a lot of things in this movie that I felt like I had seen before. Um, but it is it it does live up to the task of borrowing and making it its own. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a fresh 2020s take. None of these people look like they're in high school. This is a high school movie. Everybody here is at least 30. <laughs> it looks like everybody's at least 30 every- anyway. Um, it's tough to talk about this movie uh, without spoiling it. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, there are certain aspects in the second half of this movie, which I would really love to talk about, maybe off air. Um, suffice it to say, there are certain parts of this movie which the filmmakers, I have to imagine, were patting themselves on the back. It kind of a... Um, <laughs> I'm trying to tiptoe around exactly what it is, but um, there are certain, uh, certain plot points in the back half of this movie which were not as creative as the filmmakers seem to think that they were. Fair. I found the back half to be rather predictable. Let's yeah. let's leave it at that. Um, that being said, I thought, um, in particular, um, Camilla Mendez and Maya Hawke had really good chemistry. I agree. I thought they were both hilarious. I really I liked agree. Maya Hawke in uh, Stranger Things. I think you did as well. You big time. Uh, Austin Abrams as Max is such a piece of shit. Yeah, he He's really good at just being... Uh, just a, he's fucking fake. He's just a fucking phony. He's the kind of guy who's just, the word virtue, virtue signaling comes to mind. That's a little more political than I want it to be, but he's just a guy who just knows how to say all the right things publicly. He's a white knight. Yeah. He's a white knight. He's a fucking narcissist and a psychopath. Uh, and he's a great villain. (laughs) He's a really, really good villain. The characters here all feel really well fleshed out really well developed have great chemistry with one another um you don't often see a movie like this where you get two uh, where you where you get a female anti-hero because that's really what drea is yeah drea is despicable drea is our is our protagonist but like i say she's an anti-hero she's a liar and a manipulator and a psychopath and she's sort of um like if you've seen Mean Girls, think Regina George, but like the movie's about her. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like if this movie was about Regina George. Um, and I, I thought that was a, a take that I hadn't seen before. That that aspect of it felt really fresh. Hence why I'm kind of back and forth on my rating for this movie because there's those predictable aspects that I talked about and there's the, the fresh aspects. Um, so I'm really not too sure. It really feels like a living, breathing world. Uh, the character building is really nice. For right now, I think I'm going to give it a four. Uh, because even though I saw certain aspects of the plot coming, um, that doesn't make them bad. Like it, it just means that they didn't do a good enough job concealing them, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm. Uh, I think I feel comfortable right now giving it a four. That might flip flop to a three in the near future on a on a rewatch. But yeah, I had a, I had a pretty darn good time. Nice. I gave this a three. Yeah. Uh, Maya Hawk is literally her mom. Yeah. You close your eyes, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Uma Thurman. <laughs> when I was watching this movie, I'm like, you look like your mom. You sound like your mom. And I, at times, I'd just be watching, and I'm like, I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm like, ah, oh, Uma Thurman's in this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I had a good time. It was it was fine. But, yeah, it's 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 Strangers on a Train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine. Nothing yeah, wrong with doing, no- it, like, a modern reimagining or anything like that. Not like, shitting on that idea. Just, no, not, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Last movie I wanted to talk about. I wanted to save this specifically for last because I want to talk. Ooh. I want to talk to you about the fly. Ooh. 
a brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man slash fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. You've not seen this movie, correct, Manny? That is correct. I thought I have. I have not. Do you know anything about this movie? Like I know it's directed by David Lynch. I know it's incorrect. Not... Oh, uh, Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Thank you. Yep. Sorry, the, I, I was like I I wanted to say Canadian. Yeah. Like I knew it was Canadian. Wait, Canadian is David, David. Is David Lynch Canadian too? Maybe. I don't know. I know Cronenberg is. Um, sorry, I got my David mixed up. <laughs> uh, I know that. I know it stars Jeff Goldblum. Is it Gina Davis as well? Yes, correct. Okay. And then I know that there are, because it's Cronenberg, there is some absolutely incredibly disgusting body horror. Yeah. And that's all I know. And I, and I know the basic plot. Uh, David Lynch was born in Missoula, Montana okay, in the so, U.S. Yeah, so just um, Yeah, you were basically bang on with the fly. Um, I know of... Cronenberg. Uh, I don't think I've seen any of his other movies. I think I've seen um, two movies. I do watch a lot of Rick and Morty, and uh, Dan, uh, Dan Harmon, who runs that show, and Justin Roiland are massive Cronenberg fans. There's a lot of homage uh, there. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum in this movie is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> this is legitimately an excellent performance. As I was reading on uh, the Wikipedia page about this movie, yeah, like most of the. Uh, most of the praise for this movie was for the practical effects. Uh, it did win the Oscar for Best Makeup that year. That's the only Oscar it was nominated for. Uh, I don't know what the other Oscar noms were for Best Actor, but holy shit, this is probably my favorite Jeff Goldblum performance. Do you have the year? Uh, 86. Okay, keep going. 86 is the year. Um, so yeah, those are the two main things worth praising about this movie. Um, the way that uh, David Cronenberg manages to maintain tension through this movie is unparalleled. He left me questioning at every turn what was going to happen next. He's not afraid to go certain places with the plot. Um, there are certain things, um, certain things in the back half of this movie, which I have to imagine would have been groundbreaking for the time as far as um, topics that are being broached. Um, even on the non-sci-fi side of things, there are certain political issues being talked about in the back half of this movie, which would have been uh, groundbreaking for the time. Um, I found myself just on the edge of my seat for the entirety of this movie. Nice. I was super, super impressed. Um, the practical effects hold up remarkably well. This is now, what, probably 35 years ago? 36 years 36. ago? 36 years ago now. Uh, and the practical effects look better than anything you'll see in a movie now. Um, and Jeff Goldblum acting through the makeup is uh, is fantastic. This movie is disgusting. There are several moments in the movie where I cringed and said "ew" audibly. Uh, but again, it's the great practical effects that that accomplish that. I've seen this movie homaged. I've seen this movie ripped off. I've seen you know every iteration of the movie, but somehow I had not had the ending spoiled for me. Um, so without getting too deeply into that, I'll just say that. Um, since I didn't know how the movie ended, um, I really felt like I was in for the full experience. I really felt like I didn't know what was going to happen at every turn. Um, much like I said for Do Revenge, uh, there's definitely aspects of the ending that you that you understand in advance. You're like, okay, this this certain thing will happen. This certain thing will happen. But of course, the it's not always about the end. It's often about how you get to the end. Um, and the, the journey of the fly was, was great. I, uh, contemplated giving this a five Whoa. for, for, uh, <laughs> for my first watch on this. Cause I, I had a fucking delightful time. 
this is certainly closer to like a gross-out sci-fi than it is for than it is a horror. I didn't I didn't find myself scared really at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's suspenseful moments and gross-out moments, but I honestly didn't I didn't find myself scared, which is fine. It's not a requirement for me. It's just an insanely well-crafted movie with great visuals uh, and a honestly otherworldly performance by jeff goldblum in this movie is really fucking good and gina davis as well um so yeah i found myself i really i wanted to give this a five and this may graduate to a five on future watches i'm leaving it a four for now but um i would love for you to check this movie out down the line i know you have a zillion movie recommendations on your plate um but if you ever find yourself inclined to watch like a like cross something off your list of shame so to speak um and watch a great performance by jeff goldblum uh, then I, I would recommend The Fly personally. It's only like an hour and a half. I think it might be maybe close to an hour and a half on the dot. Let me see. Um, hour 36. It's an hour 36, so it's a brisk watch. Um, if, if, it any... was, if it was an hour 35, I'd do it. But... Yeah. <laughs> uh, if there's anybody listening who's into horror or classic horror or body horror or you know any movies of that sort or you just like great practical effects and good performances, I highly recommend The Fly. I had a fucking blast watching this. It was really good. Right. Uh, looking at the people that were up for best actor for that year, uh, I've only seen one of the performances. I saw the winning performance. Uh, the winning performance is Paul Newman for The Color of Money. Oh, okay. And? It's really fucking good. Really good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I haven't seen this, so I, it would be an unfair comparison. The only thing I can tell you is that while I don't, these other performances, maybe he could have snuck in the – uh, into the nomination, I don't think he's beating um, Paul Newman because Paul Newman hadn't won yet at this point. Mm. So this was kind of like this is like Sc- Scorsese's Departed. Right. We <laughs> got, we, we got to give it to him because this might be the last time. I see. Yeah. Got it. So I I I haven't. Yeah, I know three of the other performers. Like I know Bob Hoskins, William Hurt, and James Woods, but the movies never seen them. Hmm. In fact, one of them I've never heard of. Uh, this year is just not an exciting year for me. Looking at those movies, except for the winner, like Platoon. I fucking love Platoon. Mm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. The Fly. Good movie. Uh, I'll uh, I'll add it to my watch list. And I don't believe you. <laughs> I'll add it to the watch yeah. list. Yeah. Whether or not I watch it, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But wow, it's five films. Yeah, I watched five whole movies, Manny. Um, I. Like I said, surpassed you. You did, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna savor that because it's gonna be the only, the one and only time it happens, probably for a little bit. <laughs> probably. So I watched uh, two movies and finished up a docu series. Oh, okay. And I'm gonna start with the docu series. My docu series was one that I was both excited and not excited to watch, and that is the ESPN film, The Captain. It is a seven-part documentary on Derek Jeter. <sighs> Being a Boston Red Sox fan, I have this incredible hatred for Derek Jeter. Being a baseball fan, I have this incredible respect for Derek Jeter. Watching him throughout his career, everything that happened to him, you're just like, this is like who did he blow to have this life his 3000 career hit is a home run his last game as a yankee 
he ties the game and gets a walk-off winning hit. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This is unbelievable. This um, this series, I think, is being touted by the same people that uh, that made The Last Dance, another docuseries about the final year of the Chicago Bulls dynasty. Right, which I still um, haven't seen, but I've heard is excellent. It, it's jaw-droppingly good. So is this. Hmm. The nice thing with this, I was wondering, I wasn't sure if this is going to be like a fluff piece or if they're actually going to get into things with about Derek Jeter. And much like The Last Dance, it doesn't really sugarcoat a lot. It definitely hypes up Jeter as it's supposed to. It's about fucking him. But there's a lot to hype up about Jeter. Uh, you get some really great, you know, behind the scenes footage of him. You get to see him as a kid. You get this is back when he was drafted. This is when the MLB draft was on TV. But you get to see when he gets the phone call from the Yankees um, that he was drafted. I think twelfth overall. So eleven teams could have had Jeter. Uh, it's Jeter's really honest in this documentary, and it's kind of refreshing to see uh he had a young ongoing friendship with alex rodriguez and then alex opened his big fat mouth and wrecked that friendship and derek talks about the way that he has been with friends his whole life or people in his life once you're out you're out and he talks openly about that they Obviously, get into great detail about the Yankee dynasty, so that was real fun to relive. Then they relive the 2003 ALCS, which was devastating for me to watch. But they end there on one episode, and I was like, all right, fucking 2004. 2004, they're going to... And they barely fucking scratched the surface. It's not about them. It's not about the Red Sox. I know. I know. But they do, they do talk about it a bit, but I was kind of hoping... Because they kind of played up the Red Sox Yankees rivalry going into the 2003 part of the documentary, so I was hoping they carried over into 2004. Mm. Um, I was really hoping to see just yet another glimpse of footage of Veritech punching a rod in the face. Oh, yeah. Sadly, it wasn't in there. Yeah. Um, this documentary, uh, if you're a baseball fan, I can't recommend it enough. It is unfucking believable. Uh, it gets a four out of five. It should be a five, but he's a Yankee. And they didn't talk about 2004. And they didn't talk <laughs> enough about 2004 for me. Um, in all honesty, this is probably a five, but I can't give a five to a Yankee. So it's four to five. Man, do you care to tell me um, what the following people have in common? Paul Shuey, BJ Wallace, Jeffrey Hammonds, and Chad Modela? No. Those are the five people who were selected before Derek Jeter in the 1992 MLB draft. So he was selected six. Six. Oh, I don't know why I had 12. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just doubled and it, it. It's fun watching that draft, and like they they kind of go each pick because Jeter knew he, Jeter going into that draft was highly touted, mm -hmm. and so it was fun seeing the names drafted before him, and you're like never heard of them. It says says here on the Wikipedia page, those five people combined for two All Star appearances. Yeah. in their life. Um, side like side note, there's another uh documentary on Disney. Uh, about the year that Marino and Elway got drafted, mm. and it's awesome. That sounds good. It's really, good. It's really just, good. That one's like an hour and a half. It's an easy watch. Dan Marino was just 
uh, retiring kind of at the beginning of my life. So, and then I wouldn't become an NFL fan for some years after. I think he retired in 2000, I want to say. Can't remember. Something like that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the captain, uh, honestly, Sam, it, you should definitely watch it. Hmm. And what I what I did with, because it's seven one-hour like one episodes, all I do is I just watch a bit at a time. I basically kind of would, my routine was I would come home, I would eat, or I would make dinner, and I would eat, watch this, and then when I was done my food, I would turn it off and then start watching a movie. Mm, nice. Um, but yeah, uh, I think you would really, really like this. I probably would. Yeah. I believe you. 100%. Uh, next up. <clears throat> Chipping away at my 1991 films, uh, I wanted to revisit a movie uh, that I saw several times back in the 90s that I enjoyed. Uh, and that movie is called Regarding Henry, starring Harrison Ford, Annette Bening. Uh, after being shot, a lawyer loses his memory and must relearn speech and mobility, but he has a loving family to support him. This was my re-watching this now. Uh, when I watched it, I would say probably well over 10 times in the 90s. Uh, Rewatching this now, I think this was Harrison Ford's Oscar play. This is about a asshole lawyer who gets shot in the head during a botched robbery and has to relearn how to talk, how to walk, and he can barely remember his life beforehand. And it's so like it's that whole learning that you were an asshole and then not being that person anymore. Mm -hmm. He does this one thing that, unfortunately, I, I it's an, we're on an audio podcast, but it's similar to like a stroke victim. He kind of leaves his left his left arm kind of by his side a lot. It's fully mo it's fully mobile, and he's able to use it. When he's walking around, he doesn't let it move, and so it shows you that he has he's still having some motor. D motor skills difficulty it's a nice small touch that really impressed me i was like because you can see the difference when he's walking prior to being shot he's got this powerful stride and stuff like that and afterwards he's kind of got this little bit of a shuffle and that one arm just doesn't move and i was like that's a really good acting choice hmm. annette benning ugh, i fucking love her she's so good in this she's so loving and caring um i really like this movie but it's not good this is uh it's a 47 metascore it's just a it's just a movie i just kind of like I, I i can't really say much more than that it's it's very similar to a lot of the other movies I've talked about from 1991 and 1992, my rewatches, is that you see the seeds and structure of an absolutely brilliant film, and they just don't come through. Yeah. And that's what this is. This, is, this easily could be an Oscar-winning performance from somebody with a little, little bit of tweaks and maybe a little bit better actor. But um, I had a good time. I, I gave this a three. Yeah. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Um, directed by Mike Nichols. Yeah. Of uh, Birdcage fame. Yeah. Uh, music by Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Yeah. My boy. Yeah. Probably uh, won't have to mention him again today. You nope. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't know it's Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, 
90s Hans Zimmer seems to be a little more um, traditional. Seems to be a little more. This is very. Seems like he hadn't really found him, his own voice as a composer just yet. Like, uh, uh, as the further mm. we go back into the 90s. Like, yeah. When I think of, I mean, the movie we're talking about today, Dunkirk, that and the score for Dune and the score for even The Dark Knight, that's like very modern, almost more like tone setting, just trying to set the scene more or less. Back in the 90s, it felt like he was more of like, like just yet another person trying to be John Williams, just like. I don't quite see that i yeah. i like his score for uh crimson tide is really good mm. um i think you mentioned you didn't like the score but i liked his score for true romance yeah the um uh, the marimba was a weird choice like the main theme is played on either a marimba or a xylophone yeah. i'm not sure and it's just like a really weird choice yeah so uh yeah regarding henry i don't know if you ever see it on streaming give it a watch yeah. i think you'll be like i think if you watch you'll be you <laughs> There, the person that shoots him. It's not a spoiler. It happens. In big, it's fucking yeah, blood. It's the plot. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's John Leguizamo in one scene. Oh, crazy! <laughs> yeah. You're coming. You're like, hey, that's John Leguizamo, and then he shoots him in the head. Um, uh, another. Uh, uh, there's a credit as I googled it. Uh, the cast list came up as it does on yep. the on the Google page. Um, <laughs> a I assume this is a cameo because the role is just called Delivery Boy. Oh, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> It takes you a moment to re- to recognize him, and he's li- it's one scene, and mm. it's literally he's dropping something off at the apartment, and you're like, "Sweet." I was looking, I'm like, "Is that J.J. Abrams?" <laughs> Quick look, it is J.J. Abrams. Well, yeah. yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. I, if you ever, if you ever catch this on on streaming, Sam, give it a watch. You might like it. I I I I think you give it a three. I think what you do if you watch it as well, I think two things. One, you'd be looking at it, be like. Yeah, like a much stronger actor is gonna probably pull an Oscar nomination out of this performance. And two, you're gonna be like, "God damn it, Annette Bening is adorable." Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, the last film I want to talk about is a movie that I fucking pumped on, uh, and that's the remake uh, and the 2022 version of All Quiet on the Western Front. A young German soldier's terrifying experiences and distress on the Western Front during World War One. Sam, this movie's unfucking believable. Okay. I, I'll be honest right now. I wish, I knew that this is was coming out. I wish we had done this for tonight's episode. I'm adding this to my watch list right now already. <laughs> um, Sam, I hope this goes to the top of your watch list. I think you're going to absolutely fucking love this movie. I cannot heap enough praise on this film. If this film doesn't make my top 10 of the year, that's a good thing because that means there were 10 better films than this. This movie is unbelievable. It is visually stunning. The acting is good enough to get you invested in the characters but I don't think there's anything award worthy in here. I didn't really, I didn't realize right away until I was kind of, you know, when you first kind of start a movie that you're not sure about, you're not, you're not fully paying attention. You're just kind of settling into your chair and Mm -hmm. getting into it. And I realized I'm like, Oh, I'm watching dubbed 
and I quickly switched it over to German with subtitles, yeah. and it immediately it's, got better. It's way better, right? So much better. I don't have strong opinions about much, I don't think, but I am definitely team subtitle. I'm yeah. definitely team subtitle. Sam, this has some of the most breathtaking cinematography shots I've seen in a long time. This film is beautiful. The camera work is unbelievable. This has this also shows you the absolute drudgery and absolute horrible conditions that these people had to endure during World War One in trench warfare. Yes, this is about the Germans, but please everyone remember this is World War One. These are not Nazis. Yeah. Not Nazis. <laughs> These are just Germans <laughs> who are fighting for their country. Yeah. Well, it's a double negative, so they're just C's, I guess, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I beg you to watch this movie, Sam. Like, beg you to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie currently is a four. It's probably going to get upgraded to a five. I'm very excited to rewatch this again just to fully take in more of that breathtaking cinematography, just to fully take in some of the absolute horrors that you watch on screen here. Uh, This movie is just mesmerizing. I pray It, it is long. It's two and a half hours. It's not that long. Sam, please put this near the top of your watch list. Yeah, it definitely has just uh, has just skyrocketed. This seems very up my alley. You know I like to go into movies as blind as possible. I think as do you. I- I'm on the Wikipedia page right now, and I just saw a name that I wish I hadn't, but an actor who's in the movie who I'm very excited to see, um, Mr. Daniel Brühl. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I totally – yeah. He – yeah. Uh, I'm not well. It's not spoiling anything. He he's not a soldier. Mm. He's a politician. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm um, I'm of course used to seeing him as a soldier because his portrayal of Frederick Zola is like one of my favorites. Yeah, I, lo- I love no, that role. He plays a politician, right? Cool. Like, I'm like when you said an actor, I'm like, who? I'm like, <laughs> famous in this movie. Yeah. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah. Um, yeah, please. Oh yes, please. And anybody listening out there, please watch this movie. It's absolutely fucking brilliant that's what i've been watching cool yeah i just threw it on my watch list um just for uh for reference sake the five movies i have on my watch list for 2022 that i have not seen uh okay you want to guess is rrr still on there it is fuck yeah all quiet on the western front correct three more i don't give them to me two of them are big releases that i haven't seen Oh, Top Gun Maverick? Yep. Think early 2022. I don't have it. Battinson. Oh, <laughs> yeah, really? Batman. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then the last one is a little more obscure, but I think you recommended it to me. It was, uh, hold on, let me just get the title right. Uh, good luck to you, Leo Grand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those are five really good movies. I know. I want to watch all of them before year's end. Fuck. I, we I, we got to set up like a, a little bit more regular movie watch night for you to come over here. Hell yeah. I, well, as you'll recall, I think my goal for 2022's was 30, I think. That was your goal? What are you at? 10? Uh, I'm at no, I'm, at, I'm actually doing pretty no, well. Yeah, I'm, hold on. I'm going to guess. Uh, I think you're just over halfway. I think you're at 17. 
It's pretty good. I'm at 16. I'm at 16. So I far. can't remember what I set my goal at, but I'm doing good. Yeah, I think yours was. I want to say. I want to say you were at like 60 for I your goal. I think 60 was my goal. I think 60 was your goal. We'll have to go back and double check. But how are you doing? I mean, you've watched a movie a day this year, like 7.1 movies a week. I think last I checked was your pace. Uh, let's see. My diary, decade 20. <laughs> I'm 53. Wow. For 2022. That's crazy. So, yeah, you're probably, honestly, as we. Oh, wait. Okay, well, they double counted something. So, I'm in my 50s. Yeah. I can just see it double counted my clerks for some reason. That's weird. All right. Yeah. You're uh you're gonna reach sixty, no problem. You you might even get to seventy. Oh at oh, least uh, well like by oh. the end of the year you'll probably get to sixty, but by the time Os- the Oscars roll around, which I think is where we usually measure from. Yeah, I'm definitely definitely I'm I'm gonna get to seventy. Yeah. How have you felt about this year in film so far? Happy. Yeah, me too. I've I've thought this has been a really good year. Yeah. And I haven't seen probably I'm guessing at least one movie I'm going to see that I'm going to give a 5. Start of November. My goal is 365. I'm at 323. How many fives have you given out uh for 2022s? You said you've seen 52 or 50ish? Where's my ranking? 50ish. Oh, oh, for 2022s? Yeah, for 2022s. Oh, I, thought, I thought you meant 2022. No, no, no. I mean, like, new releases, 2022, any fives. Because that always intrigues me. We we like to let rankings kind of incubate. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit to realize that a five is a five. Uh, um, so if you, if something can get an instant five, that's like a huge, a huge boost. Okay, hold on. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'll... I'll give you my number right now if you want to know it unless you want to guess what i have for fives zero incorrect how many you got i got two i got two fives what you got uh everything everywhere all at once oh right okay and nope oh shit i gave nope a five yeah. man he's holding up a number four three <laughs> it double counted double counted a couple double counted one did you give clerks a five no i gave it a four i ended up giving a four. Oh, wow, okay are uh, you are you holding to that? For now. For now. I okay. bet you a rewatch is gonna go to a five. Probably. Yeah. Um interesting. I don't know if I know what you gave a five. Um here, let me just pull up my list real quick. Um Oh, the Northman, you gave a five. Yeah. Um I don't think I have seen anything else that No nope. unless it was uh, You haven't. Unless you gave everything everywhere all at once a five. Nope. Okay. Then I, I don't know. Top Gun Maverick. Okay. And R R R. Right. God, they gave that a five. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one. I'm so excited to rewatch it. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't wait to so rewatch. So is RRR. all quiet on the Western Front my top watch for 2022 right now? With those two fives in mind. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes, I think I think you're gonna give All Quiet on the Western Front a five off the bat. Mm. I don't know how much you like the original Top Gun. I've seen it once. I was drinking at the time <laughs> with some friends, <laughs> so, so I honestly don't remember it that well. <laughs> so, I think you're I think you're going to enjoy Top Gun Maverick. Mm. If somebody watches that movie and doesn't have a good time, I'll honest like I'll honestly be like, okay, I guess you just don't like movies because it's so fucking fun. 
it's a five for me, not because I like the original Top Gun, but because it's such a great sequel and pays such in it pays such incredible homage to a movie that does not deserve that type of reverence. Yeah. You're I was just like you got Tom Cruise and God damn it. I can't remember the director's name. He fucking directed Oblivion. It's gonna bug me. I think his name's Jim something. Can't We're talking about the director of, uh, of Top Gun Maverick. Maverick. Let us see. His name is Joseph Kaczynski. Okay, Joseph Kaczynski. I know. I don't think the. I don't think it's fully written. Oh my god, fuck! By the guy that's doing the fucking Mission Impossible's, who is a buddy of Tom Cruise right now. Is it Aaron Kruger? Nope. Eric Warren Singer? Nope. Christopher McQuarrie? Thank you. Okay. So Those are the three writing credits. Okay. Their handling and homage and respect for the original Top Gun is so incredible. That's what makes Top Gun Maverick, for me, so enjoyable. And the movie's so fucking fun. But the way that it treats the characters, the way it treats the world, and just how much fucking fun that movie is, that's why it was a five. RRR is just a, a fucking uh, an absolute thrill ride. I it, need to find three hours. I'm gonna have you over, please. Um, yeah, but uh, out of them, I think All Quiet on the Western Front, I think, is a movie that. Personally, I think you're gonna be like, that's one of my favorite one of my favorite movies of the year. Hmm. The other two, I think, you're gonna really enjoy. But All Quiet on the Western Front, I will be mind blown if you if you want if you don't love it like mind blown interesting okay you've uh, you've piqued my interest okay uh let's get into the movie that we are here to review and that is the movie we've selected for our annual remembrance day film that is the movie dunkirk released july 21st 2017 written and directed by christopher nolan starring fionn whitehead mark rylance killian murphy and tom hardy has a meta score of 94 Letterbox score of 3.8. It's pretty good. Won three Oscars for Best Film Editing, Best Sound Editing, and Best Sound Mixing. Uh, it had eight nominations in total, so the above-mentioned three, as well as Best Picture, Best Director for Christopher Nolan, Best Original Score for Hans Zimmer, Best Cinematography for Hoyt Van Hoytma, and Best Production Design. Had a budget of $100 million, grossed $189 domestic, $527 million worldwide. The plot, Allied Soldiers from Belgium. The British Commonwealth and British Commonwealth and Empire and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War Two. Sam, your spoiler-free thoughts on Dunkirk? My first time seeing Dunkirk was in theaters in 2017. Uh, we actually discussed it in our first ever episode because our first ever episode was our top ep- or our top movies of 2017. Um, it's kind of a tough film to talk about. You and I have both speculated our discussion on this is going to be a little bit short um, because, to put it bluntly, it's an incredibly technically adept film. Um, but there's not a lot there in the way of, uh, of the, in the way of dialogue or character development or even really plot. Um, it's more just a movie about about the tension, about survival, about um, kind of just about the journey. Um, it's perhaps better understood as a horror movie or a survival film than a war film. Uh, really, the um, whole appeal of the movie is uh, the way that Christopher Nolan 
um, establishes and maintains tension. A lot of his other films focus primarily on... It's like, for lack of a better term, I don't mean this negatively, but it's like the gimmick first. It's like the concept first. Um, uh, I think Inception's a great example of this. We just take one idea of, um, you know, incepting people, putting an, putting an idea into their head during a dream. What are all the logical consequences of that? What would the world look like? And you kind of build off from there. Here, it's just kind of like, here's a historical event that happened. How can we make... How can we make it as suspenseful as possible? There's a joke you and I throw at each other from time to time, which is um, spoilers for real life. <laughs> like whenever, whenever we're talking about like the spoiler to a movie that's based on real events, we're like, spoilers for real life. Um, it feels like Christopher Nolan is really just trying to say, hey, everybody knows what happened. This is a historical event. How can we make it as tense as possible? How can we, how can we keep that mood and that uncertainty building throughout the movie? Um, in spite of people knowing exactly what's going to happen. I think it's really masterfully done in that sense. Um, there's pretty well no politics in it. Can you name me, Manny, another World War II movie that does not have a swastika in it? Or barely a mention, like not a mention of the word Nazi, uh, not even really a mention of the word German? Not off the top of my head. This uh, the Germans are often referred to in this movie by my count every time except one. The Germans are referred to in this movie as the enemy. I think Harry Styles calls somebody a German at one point. He calls calls him a Jerry. And that's like the only instance I could find. And I think that's really interesting because um, the Nazis really are just such a perfect movie supervillain. Like they really they're just are. so they were so comically over the top evil. That it really is just like you think of the red the red banner with the with the black swastika on it like more perfect villain imagery you could not conjure up like it's just it's just a really surefire way so it can be a really cheap way to just like uh, point out that somebody's evil in a movie is just like oh they they have a swastika on them and it's it can kind of come off as I don't know it's almost a cliche at this point um, so I think it's really interesting that Christopher Nolan kind of rejects that and decides not to really make it a story about good versus evil, which uh, World War II films often are. Mm -hmm. um, again, and I'm not trying to suggest that the Nazis were not pure evil, because they absolutely were, <laughs> and Adolf Hitler was definitely pure evil. Um, I'm just saying that it's interesting to see a bit of a different approach, which is it, it's treated more as a survival film. Yep. There's all these, all these men in a horrible, life-threatening situation um, that they somehow need to find their way out of. And I think that's a really interesting approach. And the way that um, the way that he approaches it from a technical perspective is really, really good. While I understand the decision to make our characters a little bit nameless, casting relative unknowns in the roles of the soldiers, with the exception of Harry Styles. I mean, from an acting perspective, he was a relative unknown at the time. Um, but he certainly was known as a superstar. Um but getting um, Finn Whitehead is the guy's name yeah. uh, in the lead. I think, I, actually, I think it's pronounced Fionn. Is it? I think okay. so. All right. I'll take your word for it. That guy in the lead, um, as well as his friend, uh, his friend with him, whose character doesn't really have much dialogue at all in the movie, um, having them be relative unknowns, having very little dialogue, no background about them whatsoever. It, it's certainly an intentional decision. I go back and forth as to whether or not I like it. Um, I understand the reasoning behind it. Again, wants it to be about the event, wants to be about the survival and about the tension rather than the characters. 
feels like I could have used a little more character at times. But again, I go back and forth on whether or not I like that. So that's maybe my one criticism. I'm sure you and I would go back and forth on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But for now, we'll leave it at that. Um, insanely technically well-made movie. Interesting take on the World War II movie. Um, I didn't know a lot about Dunkirk before this, if I'm being honest. I don't remember ever learning about it in school. Um, but uh, it definitely inspired me to go up and look some stuff up about it because it's a, certainly an interesting chapter in, in World War II. I haven't seen this movie since it came out, since I saw it in theaters. I own it. But I, well, I shouldn't say I only bought it because it was a Best Picture nominee. I, I, I bought the movie because I liked the movie. It's a technical marvel. It is brilliantly made by Christopher Nolan. But I want to piggyback on what you said about the lack of characters. All the World War II films I like, I like not not just because they're about World War II, but they have characters that I invest in and I like. This doesn't have that. No, it's nothing. And I, again, I understand... I can understand the reasoning behind hiring basically unknowns. Harry Styles obviously being very well known, but not as an actor. The thing is, is that I found myself once again impressed by the technical prowess of the film and the emotions being manipulated by his skill as a director and the score, but I honestly didn't care about anything that happened to them. Mm -hmm. And that is a big problem. Did it hurt my enjoyment of the movie? No. But what it's going to do, spoilers for something later on, that really affects my rewatchability. Totally. And that's why, and as I was watching it, I realized I'm like, Oh, this is why I haven't seen this since it came out because I I don't care about anybody in this movie. Manny, real quick. Um, we, when did you watch this movie? 2017. No, oh, like when did you watch it this week? Last night. Last night you watched it? Um, th so this is a movie about 300,000 people on a beach. Yeah. Can you, Manny, right now, name me three characters in this movie? I can name you one. <laughs> Georgie. George, yeah. He's like the only one who's mentioned my name often. Yep. I. I the only reason I know that... Um, Mr. Whitehead's character's name is Tommy is because Wikipedia is telling me I have it open right here. Sorry. Um, the, the, um, I'm pretty sure that the, uh, pilot gets shut down as Collins. Oh, good one. Yep. That's it. Yeah. 300,000 people on a beach. <laughs> we got two names. Now me saying that, um, I really want to reinforce that just because that's the way I feel doesn't mean that this isn't a good movie. Or I had a really good time. Or I didn't have a really good time watching it. This movie is so incredibly well crafted and really knows how to up the tension. And it's Christopher Nolan, so he knows how to put together an action set piece. It would be one thing if he just kind of forgot to include character in the movie, but it really does feel like an intentional decision. I 100% I agree. Yeah. It's an intentional decision. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean good thing. You know, you, we can have opinions on whether or not it is a good thing, but it, it Christopher Nolan's a damn good filmmaker. So when he seemingly makes a mistake in the movie, it's worth uh, investigating. It's worth asking why. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a mistake. 
Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I may have misspoke, but what I mean is, uh, like, when he when he does something which, from some perspective, could be a mistake, mm. it's worth looking into it a little bit okay. deeper. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. You ready to dive into the movie? Yes, absolutely I am. Why don't you take us into spoilers? Also, Hans Zimmer's score is really good um, at establishing the tone of the movie, and when we finally get the cathartic moment at the end of the movie and his score swells, I'm, like, almost in tears. It's mostly because of the score okay spoilers for dunkirk uh we're gonna spoil real life here real quick uh three two one go fuck yourself what scene would you like to start discussing with my friend yeah let's pull favorite, it up here favorite scene. um yeah let's uh let's start with the opening uh i think oh, nice uh the opening is so incredible the title card uh briefly explaining um what exactly is going on again i'm actually really not that familiar um, oh prior to this movie i want to touch on that oh, okay sure let's okay. go okay sorry i didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off no we can uh, we can go there this is super shitty of me mm. okay um i think one of the reasons that w- we as north americans haven't heard of dunkirk uh as much um from my understanding it is incredibly well known in the uk mm-hmm. it is it's like D-Day, yeah. like not to the same level, but they they know about Dunkirk. I think we don't know about Dunkirk because it's a loss. Yes, I was uh, – thank you. I was totally about to hit on the same thing. When I was reading a little bit about Dunkirk, um, the real-life event, just in preparation for this episode, I was thinking to myself, like, why the fuck didn't we learn this? This is crazy interesting. The fact that early on in the war, there were calls – for Winston Churchill to negotiate a peace treaty because it like nearly their entire army was just on this one beach yep. is just nuts. And the fact that they weren't completely wiped out, like how didn't I learn about this? It, it's, it's nuts to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other things uh, I listened to a, a few podcasts about, about this movie uh, today, as I always do when I prep for movies. Uh one of uh, a podcast I uh, I listened to. One of the uh, hosts grew up in England. He he is born in America, grew up in England, moved back to the states, and he said something uh, that I I loved is that um, the British, the people in the UK, romanticize their losses the way that Americans romanticize their wins. That's really interesting. And I was like, interesting. So and he's like he said in the UK, like everybody knows about Dunkirk. Yeah, everybody. And prior, honestly, prior to this movie, I'd never heard of it. No, uh, me neither. And which is what's funny is that there were two movies about Dunkirk that uh, that came out in the same year, this and Darkest Hour. Yeah, uh, which is really funny. Um, this probably belongs in trivia, but I'm just gonna leave it here because yeah. it's on my mind. Um, one of the really interesting things I learned uh, about Dunkirk and researching for this is that to this day, um, only only certain ships, or how, how can I put this, ships that partook in the Dunkirk evacuation, um, if they are still in service, they are allowed to fly a particular flag. They are allowed to fly, like, I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's basically the English cross. I forget what that's called. The white with the yep. uh, with the red cross on it. Um, and there's like a little uh, a little insignia representing Dunkirk in the middle. So only ships that partook in the evacuation are allowed to, to fly that cross, which I think is a really really cool fact that is they really have like cool. their own thing that they're allowed to fly nice um okay back to the opening scene the opening um yeah so as two people who didn't really know a lot about this event um setting the scene right out of the gate of uh just how tied down these people are the propaganda falling from the sky 
uh, Excellent. is a really, really nice touch. Uh, the you are surrounded. Um, so much of this opening is really interesting. Um, right from the opening shot of the movie, I think when we open up, we see five soldiers walking away from the camera. Yep. Kind of an interesting visual indication uh, that this movie is not really going to be about soldiers um, or really about individual people. Um, you know, a more traditional movie might have an opening on one of our main characters' faces, like here is our main character that we're going to be focusing on, but kind of an opening on five people walking away from the camera kind of feels like an indication that we're not going to be too deeply invested in character. Yep. Um, but anyway, what I really like about this opening scene, uh, the thing that blows me away, and I think it's probably geographically correct, is once we cross the Allied line, we get what feels like an unbroken take from the line to the beach of this of this one character, the one who makes it back out of those five. Crossing the line, running down a street, and arriving at the beach full of other soldiers, and the amount of territory that they have is not a lot. Mm-hmm. It's very claustrophobic. It sets the scene very early on. We talk a lot about spatial geography in filmmaking and how important it is. It's very nice to set up that claustrophobia right away. There's all these people, and they're in this tiny little area, and the enemy has them completely surrounded. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I love I love the shots of the propaganda falling from the sky, and I remember in the theater, I was not anticipating that first gunshot, and it startled me. And a uh, little humble brag, my sound set up in here was set up perfectly. Yeah, I bet it was. <laughs> I won't lie, watching it on uh, my very nice TV and my very nice surround sound made for a very enjoyable viewing experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that pick for the opening scene. Uh, I agree. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great start to the film. I'm going to go with... Hmm. I'm going to go with a, a scene shortly after that where our apparently main protagonist Tommy Tommy apparently according okay, to Wikipedia sure uh, him and this gentleman he has come across decide to fake being a medic or a stretcher carrier and they are attempting to board a ship uh, this whole scene I'm going to go from them uh, I'm going to start the scene where they see the stretcher bearers and they just non-verbally make eye contact and both see an opportunity. And then the scene's going to end when the medical boat that they're trying to get on is sunk. Um, the score. F- fantastic. <clears throat> I'm going to heap so much praise on the sound design, even more so knowing how poor the sound design is in Nolan's next film tenant. So I don't understand how he could, build something Oscar-winning and then do something like he does in Tenet. But the score just amps up your emotions. Hans Zimmer is almost, honestly, almost at the top of his game. Not in regards to the music itself, but the emotions that he is uh, getting out of me while watching this because of his score. I listened to the score on its own while I was taking while I was doing my notes. Honestly, I didn't really. I I was honestly wasn't that impressed. Mm-hmm. But in conjunction with the film, 
it's a perfect marriage. Yeah, this score for me is not one of the more listenable ones. Like, I'm not going to put on the, the Dunkirk soundtrack as I'm just hanging out. Um, it's not one of the more listenable ones in that regard. But what I kind of touched on a little bit earlier is that Hans Zimmer uh, seems to be less focused with writing themes and kind of making... Um, kind of making it uh, neat tidy songs and he's more interested in setting a tone and establishing a setting like dune is a really good example of this another score that's really not insanely listenable but given that that takes place in sort of an alien planet the interesting instruments that he chooses to use singing techniques scales like really foreign sounding stuff uh, really alien sounding stuff is kind of what he's best at and here Again, there's not really a lot in the way of songs or melodies or themes, but what there is is just tension yep. <laughs> and just a growing unease under the surface of, of the song. So I, I like it um, from a practical perspective, not necessarily from a performance perspective, but a practical perspective. Yep. Uh, th- I, I didn't know what to call the big walkway that they're on. Uh, I, know it's called the, I know it's called the mole. Yeah. But... Like, what do you call a pier? Yeah, so I, again, a, a little bit of research went into this. Apparently, the defining difference between a pier and a mole is that a pier allows water to flow freely under it, whereas a mole does not. A okay. mole goes all the way down to the to the ocean floor or whatever the whatever the floor is. Okay. So water cannot flow freely under it. So it it is called a mole. Okay. Technically. All right. But if you if you were to call it a pier, I would not. I couldn't find the right word in my. I just yeah. called it a walkway. Yeah. Um, fine. they have the scene where it's the uh, a hole in the mole. Hole in the mole. Hole in the mole. <laughs> uh, it's really holy moly. Holy moly. It's really exciting and really well done. Um, they make it just in time. Uh, it's here that we learn that there's four hundred thousand men on the beach, and. The politicians back in England are hoping that they can get at least forty-five thousand. Holy shit, that's that's messed up. Yeah, that's a n- just under a ninety percent loss. Yeah, and it's yeah, and this that's is, what they feel is reasonable. Yeah, and this is why it's a colossal military disaster, um, which I think is I think that's what Churchill called it in his uh, in his speech after the fact it was a it was a colossal military miscue or disaster or something like that, um, and. Knowing that, it's understandable why we didn't really learn about it in school all that much, but mm-hmm. I still wish that we had. Uh, yeah, I like that um, a lot of this opening scene plays out free of dialogue. This is where it definitely starts to feel like a conscious decision that we're not really talking to each other. Um, maybe this is maybe this is getting on the verge of being nitpicky, but okay. Here in the scene where our two kind of main characters meet each other silently, we see the character who we're going to assume is named Tommy, uh, happening upon the other character um, on the beach while he's burying a body. Um, small details really make the difference here. We notice that the body doesn't have shoes, and this character that we're just meeting is lacing up his shoes. I think that's a really cool detail, um, something that you can communicate visually instead of verbally. Um, so, okay, we've established right in this opening scene that it's a stylistic decision that we're going to have very little dialogue on this movie. That's okay. That's fine. Um so then it feels like a reversal when Harry Styles' character later in the movie points out that this guy isn't talking and it's weird. Like, feels like our main character would have noticed between 
the opening scene and that scene in the boat where they're being shot at, where the Germans are taking target practice. Yeah, which... feels like our main character would have noticed sometime in the, let's call it several hours. No, 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 no. Several days. Yes, you have to remember that the mole timeline the is a, a week. week. Yeah. Yes. So in the several days that these two have known each other and they have allegedly sparked off this friendship, they have not uttered a single word to each other. Or maybe uh, maybe his character has spoken to the French guy. Like, when the, when it's revealed that character two is French, it feels very strange that our main character has just not noticed this at any point, that he does not speak English. I'm trying to remember the timeline of those guys. Yeah. Is it that ship? No, okay, yeah. No, I was, I was thinking maybe it was a couple hours, but prior... Prior to them getting on that ship that gets shot full of holes, they get out onto another ship that gets hit by the torpedo. Yes. Right? Okay, so yeah, it's days. Days. At least at least one day. Minimum. Yeah. More likely two. Anyways, okay. Yeah. So but, the only reason I point out the first scene in contrast to that, because it would make some sense, like if this was a silent film or something, just to the most extreme example, obviously that wouldn't be weird because they're not talking to each other. Um so the fact, it seems like they're trying to set it up as a stylistic decision. Like, ah, oh, these two aren't going to talk to each other. But then within the universe of the world, another character goes, hey, this thing that you've previously established? No, that's actually weird. <laughs> I don't like that. It seems uh, inconsistent, let's yeah, say. But okay, that. that's, a, that's a very tiny nitpick. Very yeah. tiny nitpick. Um, uh, next I, scene, I guess. That, right. um, I, I, you just mentioned it. I'm going to go with it. The torpedo hitting. Okay. I've mentioned numerous times on the show before. I'm an aquaphobic. I have a fear of water and a fear of drowning. And fuck this scene in particular. That's basically all I have. This is the say. this is the ship that gets hit by the torpedo. The ship that gets hit by the torpedo. I am clawing at my throat, trying to remind myself that I am able to breathe currently. <laughs> uh, it's genuinely a very well made scene. Uh, absolutely horrifying. I remember being in the theater, um, watching them step through the door. I'm trying to remember how the scene is constructed. I think this is accurate, or maybe it's just in my head. I'm not sure. They're stepping through the door to go down to the deck, and one of them just looks over his shoulder through the doorway at the water and then looks down the staircase. And we're just communicating visually, we're going underneath the water right now. And it seems like a very suspect thing for a director to communicate if he doesn't want to draw attention to it. Um, and he very much draws attention to the fact that we are below deck right now in a very claustrophobic area with a lot of people mm. and the enemy is near and they are trying to fire at us. So this is another instance of tension just being maintained beautifully through this movie. Uh, and again, fuck this scene. <laughs> I remember you saying that back in 2017. Yeah. Yeah, this this it's hard to breathe during the scene. I when I was watching this scene, I immediately thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> And I immediately thought of you because I remember how much this bugged you back in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wonder how Sammy's doing uh, yeah, this still time. It's not great. Honestly, yep. knowing that it's coming is worse. <laughs> uh, the torpedo hitting, like the seeing the torpedo come at the ship, uh, brilliantly shot. Uh, I love, well, I shouldn't say love, but like it, how it instantly goes dark in there. Uh, when they get hit because they lose the power and you're below deck in a room with no windows. So it would instantly be dark. Um, afterwards, when they are, uh, they've made their escape, thankfully, 
only because of the silent guy. Um, we're all in suppose the Frenchman. French dude. He literally saves who knows how many people just by opening that door. Mm-hmm. And Nearly doesn't, too. Yeah. He almost nopes the fuck out of there. But well, yeah. you can't really blame him. But Yeah, adrenaline's probably just through the roof at that time, but yeah. But when they uh, they jump in the water and they try to get on, on into lifeboats and they're told no, and they're like, just hang out here in your life jackets. I was like, fuck you. I <laughs> really like that uh, the captain or the guy on the lifeboat who tells them to uh, to remain in the water is Killian Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't th- either. I didn't catch that the first time around or I just uh, forgot about it. Uh, I'm not totally sure. But um, Christopher Nolan, of course, being famous for uh, playing with time in his movies. Um, and yeah, this is no exception. The fact that we have two, three different timelines all over three different we have, we, sorry, we have three different stories over three different periods of time. We have one week, one month, one hour. Or sorry, one sorry, not one, one not one month, one week, one day, one hour. Yeah, and we get to see how they interact with each other. Yeah, uh, all at different times. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, after they make their way back to shore. Um, the Frenchman and Tommy uh, see a group of gentlemen going towards an abandoned fishing ship. And uh, they decide to go in there and hide out, wait for the tide to come in, and then they'll be able to take this boat back to England. So he calls them Highlanders. Does that just mean they're Scots? Yes. Okay. All right. Just yeah. checking. And then I think a few of them have Scottish accents, so that would make sense. Yep. Probably all of them. Uh, the Again... The building of tension is they hear some sounds. It's obvious somebody is walking around on the deck. And uh, they pull him down, and it's the ship's captain. I believe he's a Dutchman. And he tells them, you know, they still got hours to wait before the, the tide comes in enough for them to get out. Uh, and then a, a single shot is taken and puts a hole in the hull. It makes you realize just how flimsy this little ship is. Mm-hmm. And then more and more. This is the scene where Harry points out that this guy has not talked. Um, we learn that he's a Frenchman. He is, uh, well, for lack of a better word, he's being a coward. He is uh, trying to get out of France. Yeah. I guess that's not really a coward. That's surviving. Yeah. I mean, he's basically doing the same thing that our main character is doing. Both of them are, especially in the early scene where they grab the stretcher, they're just trying to get the fuck out. Like, yeah. They don't care if it's their turn or not. Get me off this fucking beach. Yeah. Can't say it would be any different. Yeah. Uh, the ship starts to take on water. They are being bombarded with bullets from the enemy. And they start to have some paranoia about the non-speaking dude with them. They start plugging the holes, I assume, with their hands and fingers. Yeah. And what, then, what good is that going to do, though? Uh, you just can keep your hands in there the whole way across. And I guess so. I don't know. Whatever. But, yeah. And then... Uh, I like that there are a couple mentions, uh, <clears throat> both with these guys and with um, Kenneth Branagh's character. Uh, there's mentions across two, different, two of our different storylines about how long it is between tides two different people assume that it's like three hours between high tide or something like that (laughs) and uh 
yeah, uh, it's mentioned to Kenneth Branagh's character, and then it's mentioned again here by somebody uh, as we're climbing into this fishing vessel. They're like, oh, we got, what, three hours to wait till high tide? And then the Dutch merchant comes along and he's like, no, like we still got like six hours <laughs> or something like that, which is a, which is a funny little detail. Uh, but yeah, another one where, uh, you know, I'm feeling claustrophobic as fuck. At least this time there's a visible port out to the top. Um, I would probably take the shooting death, <laughs> if I'm being honest. At least this time, though, there's daylight coming in through the top, so that's that's less bad. Um, but yeah, uh, Christopher Nolan is really good in this movie at just uh, establishing this feel of this feeling of claustrophobia. He's really good at establishing that. Almost too good. <laughs> cool. What do you got next? Up next, uh, oh, I have the civilians, uh, the civilian boat rescuing Collins. Uh, so oh, yeah, okay. when, yeah. when Collins is, uh, fuck the, the water <laughs> in this movie. God damn it. Apologies to headphone users. I just yelled in your ear, but fuck man. The, <laughs> the amount of scenes where somebody like nearly drowns in this movie is absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, Collins, as he's going down, tests out his, uh, hatch, I guess you would call it like the, the glass yeah, above him. Cockpit glass. Yeah. Tests it out. It slides fine. He slides it back forward. He's like, okay, I'm going to crash land in the ocean, basically. I think him opening it at first was he might – he was thinking – He's going to parachute. He's going to yeah. parachute out. Yeah. And then decides not to. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, decides not to. Closes it back up. He's like, all right, we're just going to land in the water. We're going to remove – we're going to remove it. We're, we're going to be fine. Lands in the water. Naturally, it won't open. Of course, it fucking won't open. Um, and uh, the, just the way that it's editing, this is uh, classic editing from a Nolan film. Uh, we've really failed to mention the editing style so far. I guess we probably will in technical review, but Nolan's famous for this uh, for this style of the three-scene intercut, yes. having multiple different stories kind of complement each other at one time. This movie is basically a large-scale version of that, of the Nolan three-scene intercut. Um, so we get uh, a bunch of cuts between different scenes, including um, Mark Rylance's vessel coming to rescue him. And the way that it edit it's edited is really masterfully done. It's just at the 11th hour as the water is just starting to fill up. He's given up and then they bash open the top of his cockpit glass. He emerges from the glass and gives a perfectly British good afternoon, <laughs> 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 which I thought was really funny. So, yeah, this scene I thought was very tense and uh, very well made. It's funny that all of these scenes that made me feel like there's a knot in my chest were also my favorite. <laughs> Uh, the last scene that I want to discuss, um, is the civilian armada arriving. It is the emotional payoff of the whole film. Kenneth Branagh sells it perfectly. Uh, his eyes as, as he sees them on the horizon, um, the score rising. Masterstroke by Hans Zimmer. The crowds cheering. It's just so uplifting. It's the only scene in the movie where we get some semblance of a melody from the score yeah there's a bit of a there's a bit of a i mean it feels like a traditional score it does uh, at this point is because the emotional payoff like these people have risen to the occasion yeah it's beautiful it's a really great moment it's the payoff of the whole film um it's just i think it's just an incredibly well done scene yeah i'll uh i'll piggyback off that i i like that scene the last one that i have to talk about is uh the arrival back in england uh after they've gotten back okay um I really like that uh, Harry Styles' character uh, is ashamed at the uh, at the defeat that they've suffered, yep. at, at the embarrassment that they've suffered, and he can't even bear to look any of the Englishmen in the eyes, any of the people who are greeting them back home. He can't even look at them. He's so ashamed of himself. 
but when they pass the blind man, uh, he says, well done, lads, but all we did was survive. That's enough. Mm-hmm. And the English, uh, when they arrive home back in England, uh, they're proud of them. They're proud of them for surviving. And survival in their eyes was just good enough in and of itself. It was yeah. just, it was enough of a victory in and of itself. Um, and I mean, victory might be the wrong word there. Cause even Churchill says in his speech, we shouldn't interpret this as a victory. Wars are not won by evacuations, but nonetheless, it, uh, let's call it a silver lining. Yep. And yeah, the, the arrival back home is, uh, is one of the only emotional times in the movie for me. Perfect. Uh, those are all the scenes I enjoyed. Yep, that's uh, that's it for me. Cool, Sam. What was your favorite one? Uh, you know what? I really enjoyed. I didn't mark one ahead of time. I'm gonna go with the opening. I, I think the opening and establishing <sighs> establishing the geography of the thing and the claustrophobia of it right from the get go. Um, this is just such a masterful tone setting scene and geography setting scene. Without this, I think the rest of the movie. Um, the claustrophobia doesn't hit as hard and the tone doesn't hit as hard. I, I really like the opening. That's such a great pick. I'm going to go with the civilian armada arriving. Yeah, that's honestly the only other one that I would really pick. It's the emo- the emotional payoff of the entire thing. It's all of the, the armada arriving is all of the tension and all of the claustrophobia that's been built up throughout the movie. It's just that catharsis right at that moment. Like, oh my God, we're, we're actually saved. We actually get to go home. Yeah, it's a very emotional moment. Uh, all right, performance review. Who are you starting with? Um, shit. We talked about this before we came on air. There's nobody really I want to talk about. I mean, I think uh, let's go with the. Uh, are we going with Fion? 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 Fion Whitehead. Okay. He's fine. <laughs> He's our lead character. He's not good nor bad. He's. The only other thing I know him from, uh, a couple years after this, or maybe one year after this, he was um, the lead in Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Some people may remember as that Choose Your Own Adventure Black Mirror episode, um, which I really enjoyed. He was also fine in that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, this isn't really a movie for acting performances. No. No. He's not bad. He's not noticeably bad. He just makes it on through. He's just not great. Like I, I could not connect with him. And no. that, that's the problem. Yeah, I think, again, feels like a conscious decision from Nolan to cast. No one can cast anybody in the world for this role. You are Christopher fucking Nolan. You can get any actor you want for this role. Yep. Um, and he decides to just go with a nobody. Yeah. Like, and it's it seems like a conscious decision because, again, he wants this to be about the event rather than the people. But I like people. I like I like movies about people. I like movies about character. Yep. And about arc and about you know, changing and being changed. I like I like films about that. So, yep. um, yeah, I don't know. Like, not the fault of the actor necessarily because he's doing the task. He's doing what's asked of him. But, yeah, I just don't connect to this character. I don't connect to this performance. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Tom Hardy. Okay. He's covering his face again. What is what is Nolan doing? <laughs> he just loves having Tom Hardy cover his face. Yeah. And um I'll be honest, I found him in the theater I found him to be somewhat Ill- illegible at times. Keeping in mind this is 3 years pre-Tenet. Yeah. <laughs> did you watch this with subtitles? This time around I did, yes. I wish I had. Yeah, I watched it with subtitles. So I, I had no problems. I really wish I had. Yeah. Uh I still found he was definitely hard to 
understand at times. Well, it's the Tom Hardy of all actors to put behind a mask in multiple movies. Like, Tom Hardy is just a mumbler. He's yeah. a mumbler. He's not. He does not enunciate very well. He's he's a mumbler, which is fine. It's his style, but yeah, putting that behind a mask is a challenge. I just want to point out that he's yet again covering his face. Yeah, yeah. Again, I you'll notice that we did not talk about Tom Hart. This is an actor you and I both really like. I think <sighs> like was really like too strong. Let's go like you and I both like Tom Hardy, and you and I did not discuss him one time in this movie. No, is the the pilot subplot. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that as a question. I'm gonna say it as a statement. Or say it as a statement. The pilot subplot feels a little underdeveloped. Feels a little out of place. It's so well shot at times. It's insanely well shot, but like, what is it doing here? You know, I have no idea. Okay, I didn't even know he was in that. Who's that? I didn't know that uh, Tom Hardy was in Black Hawk Down. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't didn't know. know he was in Band of Brothers either. Fuck, I can't wait to rewatch that. Yeah. Okay, hold yeah. on. One. Just gonna. Are you, ca- are you counting up war performances from Tom Hardy? Or no, I'm just looking at his performances. Oh yeah. Do I like him? I liked Inception. I liked The Revenant. His performance I loved both those. him in Inception. Loved yep. him in Inception. I also loved him in Revenant. He was. Fuck! Hard, I forgot he was hard. in Tinker Toil. I love him in Warrior. Holy. I haven't f- seen Warrior. Fuck! I love that movie. Yeah. 2011. Oh, that's so far away for us. Oh, I liked him in Lawless. I did not like him in Mad Max. I love really. I, I didn't like him in Mad Max. Interesting. I love Charlize. Mad Max. <laughs> well, yeah, but that movie is so incredible. So good. But he's, I don't know. All right. Dunk. And then I fucking hate Venom. Yeah, I didn't see it. All right. Jesus Christ. So generally speaking, somebody that we're pretty fond of. Fucking making another Venom? Of course they are. Why would I be? Because it makes a bazillion dollars every yeah, time they make one. Yeah, made like yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Who you got next? Uh, who else do I got? Um, Killian Murphy. Shell shocked. Yeah, he's got one emotion to play. He plays it well. Yeah. Killian Murphy's a really good actor. I like him in all of his efforts, not just the Christopher Nolan ones, but definitely the Nolan ones. I'm excited for him uh, in Oppenheimer. Very excited for that next year. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Killian Murphy, there's nobody we're going to talk about in this section here who's like excellent or mind-blowing. Agreed. Killian Murphy is ar- arguably, well, I mean, if we're talking raw talent of the people in this movie, he's like top three actors in this movie. As far as the billing, he would be like top three. Yes. Um, like him, Tom Hardy, Kenneth Branagh. Mark Rylance. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um. But yeah, he's just he's just being given an assignment. Be shell shocked, and he is. So yeah, I'm not like mind blown. He's just doing what's asked of him. All right, it's a fine performance. I'm gonna go with Mark Rylance next. Okay. He's so calm in all this. Mm-hmm. I like him. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think this might just be his acting style. I'm not sure, but his character very much reminds me of his character in Bridge of Spies. Yeah, big time. How just in the face of all sorts of crazy adversity, he just Barely raises his voice. There's the one moment where he raises his voice at his son. Um, where he says, I hear you. But that's that's basically it. Yeah. Um, I would like to remind you. Uh, this is another thing that's kind of perplexing about this movie. A child literally dies aboard his ship. A, a child dies. And he is yeah. responsible for that death. And just kind of nothing comes of that. 
that we know of. He gets his picture in the paper? Yeah. Nobody seems too messed up about George dying. Nope. Not that I really cared all that much. I mean, it's, character, uh, actor's name is Barry. I think we've been over how to pronounce his name a few times as well. Keon. Is that it? Keon? Keon? There's a G in there somewhere. Yeah. K-E-O-G-H-A-N? Yeah, I think he's Irish. So Keon? That's, that's, gonna be, that's not going to be pronounced. Okay. That actor. Um, from the Eternals. Yeah, from the Eternals. Also, uh, did you watch Killing of a Sacred Deer? Nope. He's in that as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know. This, <laughs> there are certain plot points in this movie that are just kind of forgettable, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And that's that's one of them. George dies. No one cares. I got nobody else. Um. Yeah, I listed Kenneth Branagh, but my review of him is the same as Killian Murphy. He's a great actor. Yep. Just doing a thing. Just Nolan told him, hey do a thing <laughs> and then he went up and did the thing so okay like no insane praise there just him doing his job all right there's no great performances in this movie no. there's barely even <laughs> i was gonna say there's barely even good performances i think everybody is at least good i i don't know if anyone's bad there's no there's nobody bad no no just all right. you know no one's great you gotta pick a favorite um i'm going with killian murphy it's a good pick yeah just because of the people doing their job, he is doing his job the most, I guess, or the best. I'm gonna go with Mark Rylance. Yeah, that's a good, that's a fine pick. That's a perfectly fine pick. All right, you know I got a, a big soft spot for him because his performance in Bridge of Spies is excellent. Yes. All right, technical review. Directing, Christopher Nolan. <sighs> Do you think? That this is his best made film. Not your favorite. Best made. That is a that is a tricky question that you could approach from a lot of different directions. This is the only film he's been nominated for. I would argue that it's not. And the only f the reason that it's the only film that he's been nominated for, or among the reasons why it's the only film he's been nominated for is the subject matter. The Academy has a huge hard-on for World War II. Just a massive throbbing hard-on for war dramas. Um, so I think it would be a little bit naive, let's say, to just assume that because it's the only one he got nominated for. I know this is not what you're implying. Yep. But um, if we were to assume that because it's the only one he was nominated for directing for, that's his best-made film... Um, That'd be a little bit naive. If we want to say that he realized his own vision so successfully in this movie um, that it's his best made film, I can, I can maybe get behind that. Um, get behind that argument. Like The reason why I'm tiptoeing around saying that it's his best made one is because... Um, well, let's, let's go to screenplay. Um, it's, just, it's just not that good of a screenplay. It's, there's just not a lot of dialogue or memorable lines or even characters communicating with one another in any sort of meaningful way. That's not to say that dialogue is what makes a screenplay great, um, but there's also not a lot of a plot in this movie. This is a visual feast and just a... This, this is a visual accomplishment and a tonal masterpiece. It's the tone, it's the tension, it's the visuals which make this movie great. Um, I don't think that's enough of a slice 
of the film pie for it to be overall the greatest made. Does that make sense? It does. I like the argument. Yeah. I, I'm going to go ahead and say no. Okay. Off the top of your head, what would be? Probably Inception. Nice answer. I think it's Inception. Uh, I, uh, Dark Knight? <laughs> no. No? I like the Dark Knight, but I, I, I'm, I, I'll propose this. Inception isn't carried by a performance. Mm-mm. It is carried by the way the film is made and the idea behind it. The Dark Knight is carried by a performance. If you took out Heath Ledger's Joker and put in somebody else in that role, that was just fine. Not memorable. Not iconic. Is that movie as good? I propose it is not. That's fair. I mean, it's this is always a tough argument to have because whenever the conversation goes, uh, if you remove the great thing from the great movie, it's no longer great. Like it kind of feels self-evident. Um, but I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, but I, I think that... I don't. I don't. I don't think the Dark Knight is a great movie without Heath Ledger. Right. I see what you're saying. I think that it still is. I think there's a lot of ideas at the core of the Dark Knight. Um, Nolan really understood what that story was to be about. He really understood that it wasn't just about Batman versus Joker. It was about chaos versus justice and just kind of exploring the question of whether justice existed. I thought, I think even without somebody of, without somebody giving one of the performances of the century uh, in that role, the movie is still, what word do I want to use? Do I want to say pretty good? Do I want to say great? I don't know. I don't think it's great. I don't know. I honestly don't. To be honest with you, Dark Knight was in my top three, I think, of all time. I haven't watched it in several years now. I don't know if it's still in there. I'd have to revisit it. I just... I love the movie The Dark Knight. Me too. But I... To me, it, if whenever I watch it, I'm just like, this is only lifted to its heights because it. Christian Bale's not good in it. He's not bad, but he's not... He's not mind blowing. Nobody else in that movie is mind blowing. Like Aaron Eckhart, nah. Maggie Gyllenhaal, nah. But every time Heath Ledger is on screen, it's mind blowing good. Yeah. But when he's not, all you're doing is waiting for Heath Ledger to come back on. That's true. So. So for to get back to what we're talking about with Christopher Nolan. The Dark Knight isn't even my consideration for his best-made film. Interesting. The, it's for me his best-made film is is Dunkirk or Inception. Okay. Feels like it's Inception. Could be Inception. Yeah. But that's like that's looking at it from a technical perspective, not from an enjoyment factor. Yeah, I well as you know, I enjoy Dark Knight quite a lot. Yes, quite a lot. Yeah, my love for the Prestige grows every time I watch Dude, it. Dude, that movie fucking rules. If you're listening to this, I mean, you must obviously like Christopher Nolan a little bit because you've listened to this long podcast about Dunkirk, and uh, <laughs> we've just gone on a long tangent about the Dark Knight uh, and Interstellar, or uh, not Interstellar, Inception a little bit. Although Interstellar is good too. Um, if you've never watched the Prestige, which I think. I'm correct in saying is probably one of his lesser known movies insofar as Nolan even has lesser known movies anymore. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's fucking great. It's unbelievable. Really good. So good. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I just think this is Nolan at the top of his game. Yeah. It's like, this is one of the rare movies where I wouldn't cut anything. It's, a, what is it? How long is the movie? An hour and a half? Yeah. Hour 37 or something like that? Like, it is so beautifully short. Yeah. I mean, even though some of, even though some of the Tom Hardy scenes can sort of drag a little bit, they're just fucking gorgeous. They're, so they're beautiful. So, way yeah. too, way too watch Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, We've talked about a reasonable amount of the technical elements in it, I think. We've talked about the directing a little bit. Talked about... Um, uh, I've certainly talked about Hans Zimmer's score. Yeah. Um, anything you want to say about the cinematography? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Seems like there probably is. This movie is beautifully yeah, shot. Yeah, it is. This uh, movie is gorgeously shot to the point where I couldn't remember who the fuck beat them. And if it's who I think... What? Oh, that's the wrong year. I'm like, What? Oh, fuck it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, sorry. 2017. Yeah. 2017. It's our boy. Oh, is it Deacons? Yeah. For what the fuck did Deacons do this year? The movie that looks so beautiful, you could take any frame and it could be a poster. Oh, are you talking about. Did he do The Shape of Water? No. Oh. You didn't think The Shape of Water was filmed that beautifully, did you? Shape, I remember using the phrase every frame is an oil painting. In the shape of water. This is better than an oil painting. We've reviewed it for this podcast. I double, a, double feature. Drawing of oh, uh, Sicario. No. No. Fuck. <laughs> no. Se- well, and same, similar sequels. And. Oh, Blade Runner. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, it's a beautiful looking <laughs> Holy shit is it ever. Yeah, this movie was beautiful. And now just looking, seeing that... Uh, that Deacons went for Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049 is a movie I desperately want to revisit. Uh, Got to give a shout out to Hoyt Van Hoytema, though, because I wouldn't have been able to tell you off the top of my head who that is or what else he would have done. That's not a, in in my mind anyway, or to me, that's not a household name in cinematography. It may mm-hmm. well be because I'm looking at his resume and it's great. Um, I have not seen The Fighter or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is still good. But he did both of those. Uh, and I know you like those movies. Um, I don't think you've seen her. Nope. But I have, and that movie looks fucking awesome for, like, this intimate little indie romance movie. It looks fucking great. Um, then all these Nolan Nolan and, uh, yeah, uh, so uh, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Tenet uh, were all shot by Hoyt Van Hoytema. And then Spectre, Sam Mendes, great-looking movie, in spite of its problems. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ad Astra, which I didn't see. I haven't seen it. And then, uh, Nope. Which oh. you haven't seen, but it looks fucking great. <laughs> and then he's also doing Oppenheimer. So I'm, uh, yeah, I think this dude knows what the fuck he's doing, man. Knows sure how does. to knows how to uh, create a shot. They're just incredible shots throughout this film. Um, the shot of the of the beach, seeing the whole beach. The shots of the, I love I love the shot. It's in the trailer, but all the guys on the walkway are on the mole. And one of them hears the plane first, and he, one person looks, and then they all look. Beautiful shot. Right near the end, um, the plane burning, uh, the shots of the helmets on the beach. There's so many beautiful individual shots in this movie. This movie was well worthy of its cinematography nomination, and I'm so sad that I didn't realize until right now what it lost to because I was racking my brain trying to figure out what the fuck beat this. And I was like, can't be 
The Shape of I really want to rewatch Shape of Water because as time has gone by, my appreciation of that movie has dropped fucking dramatically. It's funny, yeah. It's funny how that works, isn't it? We haven't rewatched it. Yet. Yeah, that's that's happened. I still haven't I haven't watched that movie since I saw it in theaters when yeah. it came out. And I honestly in my mind I'm like, that movie's not good. I feel like it is. I feel like it is. I remember loving Michael I Shannon know you in that did. movie. Michael, yeah. Michael Shannon in that movie. I think great. he's great. I'm not saying that the movie's bad. Yeah. I, I just think that I when I rewatch it, I'm like, that shouldn't have won Best Picture. No. Probably shouldn't have. We had uh, three billboards winning that year, I think. Yeah, at the time. I still don't think that should have won. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What should have won? I mean, in, it's a whole conversation. In retrospect? Yeah. Dunkirk? Get out. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> yeah, I should have won. Cool. Um, I don't know if I have really anything else. Okay. Uh, as far as the technical review, uh, the sound design. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, the gunfight, the sound of the planes, uh, the gun, not the gunfight. I meant the gunfire, especially in the opening scene. Um, this won the Oscar for sound mixing and and uh, sound editing, um, which is now just combined into one uh, Oscar just for best sound. This movie. I rem- like I said earlier on when that first gunfire goes off it fucking scared the shit out of me uh, and it gave me a little jolt again this movie's sound design is absolutely spectacular I mean you think of all the visual scenes that you just listed like um, all of the guys on the mole um, all ducking at the same time one of the things that makes that scene so visceral is the fact that you hear all the guns clanking against each other and it really gives you a, a sense of that claustrophobia. It shows you how, in how close proximity there are they are that they can't even crouch down without bumping each other's guns. So the sound plays an important role in setting the scene there. Mm-hmm. The, the plane burning at the very end, I, could, I feel like I can hear it like a campfire uh, right at the very end. Like you say, the gunfire, the planes crashing into the ocean, the... Um, the, tor- the sound of the torpedo hitting the ship um, and the uh, the sound of everybody within. I feel like I can hear all of that. Yep. So yeah, it was, it was well executed for sure. All right. Um, your favorite technical aspect of the film? Uh, the cinematography is exceptional. Oh, I'm backing you up. My pick as well. Sweet. Way to be Hoyt. <laughs> all right, favorite quote? I have three. Okay. This movie is not quotable. Not very quotable. Screenplay is not the star. All right, I'll lead us off. Okay. First one is one that you actually already mentioned. It's between the blind man and Alex. Well done, lads. Well done. All we did is survive. That's enough. Uh, my next one is between uh, Commander Bolton and Captain Winnett. The tide's turning now. How can you tell? The bodies are coming back. And my last one is um, Winston Churchill's speech as read by Tommy. Uh, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, stepped forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. 
Nice. I have three as well. Okay. Two of them are overlap. One of them is the all we did was survive. That's enough. Nice. Second one is the Winston Churchill speech. Yep. Uh, which I'm not going to relive. Um, the third one, I thought we were going to have all three because it is a conversation between Commander Bolton and Captain Winnant. But it's, um, he says, well, we'll know in six hours time. And Winnant says, I thought the tides were every three. And Bolton says, then it's good that you're army and I'm Navy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Manny, what are you choosing for your favorite? Um, all we did is survive. That's enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm choosing that one too. Uh, all right. Weak link of the film. Ah, uh, really tough. Again, there's some things in the movie that are a little bit weaker, and it feels like a decision. For me, the screenplay feels like it could use some bolstering. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a little bit more specific. I think I know what you're getting at, but for me, I'm not gonna use the word screenplay. I'm gonna use. Uh, there's no character development. Yeah. There, the lack of characters in this film, like I said at the beginning, is the reason that I don't revisit this more often. I love war films. Mm-hmm. I watch ones that, and frankly, really are nowhere near the level of technical brilliance that this is. A perfect example is Memphis Bell, a movie that I was actually going to suggest that we review because that movie while not great is chock full of characters that you learn about and care about. And that's the reason I like to rewatch it. And every time I rewatch it, I'm like, that was enjoyable. Not that great of a movie, but I had a good time. This movie I'm spoilers for coming up ahead. I'm like, this was a brilliantly made movie that I probably won't revisit for probably another five years. Yeah, probably would be that long, if not longer, for me as well. Yeah. Can we talk about the 94 Metascore for a second, by the way? Okay. It's really high. <laughs> I don't know if I need to say too much more than that, but <laughs> holy shit. Like, we've we've talked about some pretty technically adept movies on this podcast before. Um, 94 is, like, nearly Godfather 2 territory. Like, I'm pretty sure Godfather 2 is at... Actually, it might even be a 94, maybe a 96 or something. Um, yeah, 94 is like insanely good. So I don't know if I fully agree with that. Or rather, I should say I do disagree with it. 90. Godfather 2 is 90? Yep. This is not four points better than Godfather 2. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh, 94 seems high. Something in the 80s would be appropriate for me. Yeah, I could I could see it at like a solid 80. Like 80 even. Yep. I get on board with that. Um, all right, want some trivia? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. According to Sir Kenneth Branagh, roughly 30 Dunkirk survivors who were in their mid-90s attended the premiere in London, England. When asked about the movie, they felt that that it accurately captured the event, but that the soundtrack was louder than the actual bombardment, a comment that greatly amused writer, producer, and director Christopher Nolan. (laughs) Nice. In the sequence where the Spitfire ditches into the English Channel, an IMAX camera was strapped into the cockpit to film Collins trying to get out. However, during filming, the plane with the camera still inside sank quicker than predicted. It took so long to retrieve the plane that the IMAX camera housing filled with water, potentially ruining the expensive camera and the film inside. Cinematographer Hoyta van Hoytma used an old movie technique of keeping the film wet and shipped it back to Los Angeles, getting it processed before it dried out. The take from that scene is in the movie. Nice. Uh, This movie was shot on the actual beach at Dunkirk where the evacuation took place. When scouting for the movie, Christopher Nolan found a button from an English soldier's uniform in the sand. Whoa, that's a a neat piece of history. Yeah. Wonder what happened to that button. Uh, The planes that were bombing the beach were Junkers JU-87. Oh, I'm not even going to try and say that word. 
Stucca dive, dive bombers, and the distinctive sound they made did not come from its engine nor its propeller, but from sirens mounted upon the leading edges of its fared mean, main gear legs, the so-called so Jericho trumpet, which terrorized ground troops and became a propaganda tool to trumpet German air power during World War II. Though the Stuckers were only aircraft equipped with such a siren system, it has become a characteristic sound of planes diving down and attacking. Wow. Uh, the, I, I feel like I can hear that sound. I think I, I know. know exactly what that is. Yeah. Uh, the voice of Fortis leader, the first Spitfire shot down, is that of Sir Michael Caine. Nice. Wow. Yep. Uh, casting what ifs? None. Zero. Could not find any. Fionn Whitehead was the first choice. <laughs> uh, closing credits. Would you watch this movie again? Yes, I would. I would, but not anytime soon. Yeah. I. Yeah, I'm not going to be. As technically brilliant as this movie is made, it's... I just don't connect with any of the characters, so I don't care to revisit their story. Mm. Um, would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes, I would. So would I. MVP of the film? Um, I'm really tempted to say Christopher Nolan, even though I wasn't a big fan of the screenplay. I might even go, is that devilish? I might. I'm going to go Hoyt Van Hoytema, nice. the cinematographer. He, he and Nolan in combination with each other in tandem, uh, are what drives this movie to be as great as it is. But Nolan also has his hands in things that I don't like. So I'm going with Hoyt Van Hoytema. Nice. I like that. I am going with Nolan. Hmm. But uh I like your I like your argument against him and giving it to Hoyt. Yeah. I applaud you for that. Well done. Um recommend a good double feature with this film. Uh I really wanted to do something other than the obvious, but all I could think of was Darkest Hour. The other the other um Dunkirk movie that came out the same year. I take Gary it Oldman. back. We did have the same one. Oh. I honestly thought you were thinking of Saving Private Ryan. Oh. No, I was not. Yeah. No, I picked The Darkest Hour To be honest, well. I have not seen The Darkest Hour, so uh, Saving Private Ryan. So you're recommending a movie you haven't seen. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's a critically acclaimed Oscar bait movie about the same subject matter. Yeah. So, I don't know. It seems like a reasonable enough uh, recommendation. It's a good movie. Yeah. Oldman won for it, correct? Yeah. 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 We will never surrender. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, what will be this film's legacy? Yeah, I... Uh, I had a bit of a tough time with this one. It still feels recent enough that it doesn't necessarily have a huge legacy. Um, I decided to go with um, it's it honestly not one of the not one of my more favorite movies in Nolan's filmography, but that's a little too subjective for legacy. I don't know. What did you put for this one? The only film he's nominated for for best director. Yeah, and like, it will, and it will be the only one. Whoa. Not Oppenheimer. No, you don't think so. Nah. I don't know. I'd, I'd take that. We can talk odds later. I'd take that <laughs> bet. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, how how is this film going to be remembered? Um, a faithful retelling of an of a forgotten story. And forgotten might be the wrong word, but mm, forgotten by North Americans. Yeah. Remember, this is not forgotten in the UK. No, this is massive. A, uh, I honestly, I don't think this film's gonna have a legacy. Yeah, which is a shame because it is a well-made movie. It's mm -hmm. just you know. Did you learn anything from this movie? Um. Well, 
I listed off a couple things. One is that uh, I learned that uh, I wish I would have learned about the evacuation of Dunkirk in school. It seems like an interesting chapter of history. Um, as far as what the tilt, the film actually taught me, I would say the point of it is to face grave danger with perseverance, grace, and dignity. That's the, the best option that I got for you. All right. Uh, what I learned from this movie is that you can make it a compelling movie that entertains and captivates without having main characters we connect with or care about. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Doesn't mean I want to revisit it, but I was definitely riveted while watching it. I don't know, man. You think of like some think of one of your favorite war movies, like Saving Private Ryan is just such a cheap example to use, but it's so good that I feel like I have to. What makes that movie great is the fucking characters. Yes. Do you want another example of an incredibly great war film, but it doesn't have characters we care about? Hmm. Thin Red Line. Yes. I was actually thinking the exact same thing. I've only seen that one once, mind you, but I was thinking the exact same thing. And honestly, I probably put Dunkirk. I, I like it better than Thin Red Line, but not by much. I 100% agree. Yeah. 100% it's agree. It's like same, same ballpark. You haven't seen Platoon, have you? No, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that, like it, it's an incredible war film. Mm. Why? Characters. Characters. Yeah. All right, Sam, your final thoughts on Dunkirk? Yeah, so um, I'm still not totally sure how to fully feel about Dunkirk because it really is just such a fantastically made movie. Nolan, uh, with his <laughs> his uh, devotion to using practical effects for you know involving real planes in the thing, the shots of the ocean in this movie are gorgeous. The shots of everything are gorgeous. But just a very strange conscious decision, or at least what seems like a conscious decision, to kind of, for the better part of the movie, ignore a lot of character development. Um, wants to make it about survival. Wants to make it about, um, yeah, just, just about the event, which is great because I did not know anything about the Dunkirk evacuation. But um, yeah, I feel like my final thoughts of this are generally more negative than I actually feel about the movie. I enjoy this movie. I, I really do. I just, it, there are certain decisions that feel a little perplexing. It's, it's kind of just strange. But yeah, I like it. It's good. And I would watch it again. <sighs> I'm with you. It's This is a movie that I fully enjoy, and yet I want to complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. The standard is high with Christopher Nolan. It really is. It really the is. is high. Um, this is a... Uh, you know, I was just about to um, like give it a back and end comment. I'm like, this is a perfectly well-made movie. I'm like, it's not perfectly well-made. This movie is incredibly well-made. Yeah, it is. This movie is a technical marvel. But what it's lacking is characters that we can connect with and care about. Like, like you said, we have a kid that dies... And we don't care. And the, he's, mo the movie itself doesn't even care. He's like the only character whose name we know. Yeah. And we still don't really care about him. Like when one of the other characters on the boat who does know him by name, I think they're friends, when the other character on the boat hears that he's dead, barely registers a reaction. Yeah. And then the, uh, the other guy on the boat, uh, Mark Rylance, uh, just kind of gives like a nod. By the way, that is a really cool scene when he... I, I don't mean to shit on that scene too much because um, when he, he takes upon himself, this kid takes upon himself to not further... Fuck uh, up Killian Murphy? Yeah, to not further fuck him up. He gives him the dignity of not knowing what he did, yeah. I guess. That, I think, is a powerful scene. Um, but yeah, 
other than that, George's death has like no consequences. It gets his name in the paper at the end, but like other than that, no one really gives a shit. <laughs> the movie is so incredibly well made. It is a technical masterpiece. The cinematography is beautiful. The score is great in conjunction with the film, not on its own. It's not one that I plan on revisiting or listening to on its own. The sound design, which won the Oscar. The editing won the Oscar. Uh, the set design, production design was nominated. It's easy to see why. Surprisingly, I shouldn't say surprising. Costumes didn't get nominated, but those everything about this movie looks and sounds great. It is and a very enjoyable and enthralling watch that is almost forgettable afterwards though. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's just a movie that's really 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 well made that I don't have much desire to watch on a regular basis. I'm looking at Christopher Nolan's last four movies. I just want to read these out to you in order. Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet. Interstellar is the best by far. Yeah. By and far. I th- and I remember thinking at the time like whoa, this is a very controversial movie for him. Like this is and not controversial in terms of its subject matter, just controversial in terms of whether you enjoyed it or whether you didn't. It was pretty polarizing. That's maybe a better word. It was mm. a polarizing film. Um I always had problems with the ending. Yeah. Then the two movies since that have arguably not been a return to form for him since then. Like I look back before The Dark Knight Rises, you got Inception, The Dark Knight, The Prestige, Batman Begins, Insomnia, Memento. Like in my opinion, like numerous movies which could be considered masterpieces in there. So, I don't know, it's just interesting. And then we have Oppenheimer coming out which seems like a like another Oscar play potentially. Um but the last four or so movies that he's put out have kind of been mid, kind of a middling. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very curious to see. I'm definitely going to be like Arguably opening weekend in Oppenheimer, checking it out. Oh, so will and I. And I'll probably like it. <laughs> sure we will. But I, I just, I feel like I'm going to want it to be better than it's going to be. 100%. I feel like it's not going to be as good as I want it to be, is maybe a more economical way of saying that. Wes is like a Nolan freak. I, once upon a time, I considered myself a Nolan freak. Like when we met, before having seen Dunkirk... I was like, I love Christopher Nolan. He can do no wrong. Dark Knight Rises, worst movies ever put out to this point, and I still love it. But, yeah, I don't know. Since then, he he, he has yet to wow me. I do love Interstellar. I do really like Interstellar. I do, except for the end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it makes me mad. <laughs> Honestly, you know what I think of every time I think of Interstellar, though? I think of the score. The score's incredible in that yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a good score. Yeah, it's Hans Zimmer on the pipe organ. All right. Okay, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Sam. What are you giving Dunkirk? There were times when we were talking about this and I was like, do I do I give Dunkirk a three? Is that really what I'm doing? <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to give it a four. I feel like, like you say, we've been giving it kind of backhanded compliments. It's, a, it's an exceptionally well-made movie. And I feel like we just keep coming back to phrases of that type. Um, but like the specific examples that we gave, the shots of the ocean, the way that he can just keep my attention on... Like, on the fucking tip of his finger, he's just got my attention at all points. He knows, he just ratchets up the tension for the entirety of the movie until that one beautiful cathartic moment when the ships show up. Um, This is certainly not a movie that's without problems. It feels like a lot of them were 
self-imposed problems, mm-hmm. which is a, just like kind of frustrating for me because it feels like this movie could have been better than it actually was. Um, but he probably didn't want to turn it into like a four-hour epic where he develops all these characters, which I guess fair enough. Um, but yeah, this is a, a fantastically well-shot, well-edited movie with forgettable characters and not much of a plot. Mm-hmm. Just tension all the time. Just pure tension. All right. Which is why I think it's arguably better thought of as a horror movie slash survival movie it's a horror movie for you because there's so many drowning there's so many drowning scenes (laughs) (laughs) i hate it but it's really good manny what are you giving it a four yeah it's a four it's four uh all right sam we've had two week break from our 1991 miniseries what are we going back to next week next week episode 231 as you say, we're going to be returning to 1991. We're going to be doing a movie that I do not know anything about, which is Bugsy. Bugsy. So with the return of Sam to the uh, miniseries, we're also going to reintroduce our little mini segment that Rachel loves. And that's Sam tries to tell us what the movie is about. So this is an Oscar Best Picture nomination. Sam, what is the movie Bugsy about? Well, Manny, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Bugsy is um, a precursor to the uh, to the Pixar movie A Bug's Life. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, a movie uh, about bugs and uh, the cute nicknames that they have, uh, such as Bugsy. Um, it is a movie about love and friendship and ants. I assume. <laughs> That's give us a real guess. <laughs> Okay, Bugsy, uh, uh, my best honest guess. Yes, that's what I want. That, that, that was fun. That was fun. Do that again for other ones, okay. but give us an honest guess. Okay, honest well. guess. Um, Bugsy, when I hear that, what actually comes to mind other than A Bug's Life is like a gangster of some kind. It really sounds like like an old school like Al Capone gangster nickname mm-hmm. sort of situation. Um, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, uh, with an old school gangster movie. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating, a positive review does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us. You can also give us a rating on Spotify, which we greatly appreciate. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd at Manny42 and Sam Reimer. And I think that's everything for social media. If I miss anything, who cares? But we love you. For the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. That's enough. I'm Sam Rammer. Adios! In Flanders' fields, the poppies blow. Between the crosses, row on row that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands, we throw the torch be yours to hold it high if ye break faith with us who die 
we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. <laughs>